0: Friends, good morning. My name is Dave Bast. I'm a member of Fifth Church. Uh, if you haven't or weren't aware of it, uh, before you got here today is Epiphany Sunday. Um, the actual Epiphany is January 6th. That's the same every year. Uh, so we celebrate it on the Sunday closest to that date. And the word Epiphany. Uh, John already said, this is an ancient festival of the church. It's the 12th day of Christmas. If you count it out, you can use your fingers if necessary. That's what I did. It's January 6th is the 12th day after Christmas. So the traditional 12 days of Christmas. Epiphany means appearing or appearance, or even perhaps manifestation. Uh, As the light of the world, Jesus appeared to the Gentiles in the person symbolically of the wise men. And in a moment, uh, we're going to hear that familiar story. Uh, But listen to how it was prophesied 700 years earlier in the book of Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Uh, The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord." So let's listen now uh, to the familiar story from the Gospel of Matthew.
1: Our message today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all the people in Jerusalem. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among them. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd the people Israel. When Herod called, then Herod called the magi secretly, and he found out from them when the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report back to me, so that I, too, may go and worship him. After they had heard the king they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And they saw the star. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: So uh, how many of you know that story? You're familiar with that much? Of the Bible. And you know, we, we sing about it, we're not going to sing it this morning. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse so far. Um, three out of three mistakes in that opening line, or at least assumptions that may or may not be true. Not necessarily three of them. Three gifts, doesn't say how many. Kings, not really, not exactly, they were magi. Uh, which is to say uh, astrologer slash astronomers, the distinction between the science of astronomy, which plotted the, the heavenly bodies, and the superstition of astrology, which was universal in that world, uh, that was not a clear-cut distinction. So the Magi dabbled in this sort of occult science that, uh, that told how the stars influenced your life and ruled the events that took place. Thoroughly debunked, incidentally, at the very beginning of the creation story in the Bible where uh, Genesis 1 says, oh, you know, the sun and the moon, those things that everyone around you worships as divine, God made them, he made them for lights. He hung one in the day, to give light, and he hung another one in the night to give a little bit less light. And the stars that you think control your destiny, he made them too, by the way. It's almost thrown in as an afterthought. Oh yeah, he made them too. And he named them. And he calls a uh, wonderful statement by the late Pope Benedict, who was just uh, taken to be with the Lord. Uh, the star didn't control the child The child directed the star, (laughs) that's how it worked. So, okay, but this story just is filled with surprises, and I I wanna spend a little bit of time on it um, because it's so unexpected, the turn of events. So first of all, first surprise, Gentiles show up in Jerusalem and are the very first human beings to announce the birth of the Messiah. Where is he who's been born? King of the Jews. We've seen his sign in the heavens, speculation about what that might have been, a planetary conjunction, perhaps a comet, perhaps some supernatural, hard to say. Uh, But they're Gentiles who come and preach the gospel to the establishment in Jerusalem, religious and political. They're magi, forbidden art, uh, forbidden magical kind of shenanigans that were clearly out of bounds for any devout Israelite. And yet God revealed his truth to them. And he did it by using what they knew, They knew the stars and God is so condescending to us. He doesn't stand on ceremony, he doesn't insist that somehow uh, we get ourselves ready before he's gonna uh, reveal the Lord to us. But he comes to us and he suddenly shines the light into these pagan magicians minds and they set out. And then Herod, of course, uh, naturally enough, they go to the palace because where else would a king be born? And inadvertently, they set off Herod's alarm bells. But Herod uh, was notorious for vicious cruelty to his own family member. He killed his wife. He killed his mother. He killed three of his sons. Caesar Augustus, who knew him well, once quipped, it's safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be his son, um, because Herod wouldn't kill the pig for ceremonial reasons, but if he felt threatened, so it's completely characteristic what happens later in, in the Matthew story, the slaughter of the innocents. Herod felt threatened, and without meaning to, the wise men set this all in motion, and then, the theologians so Herod turns to the experts the bible scholars and he says where's the messiah supposed to be oh we know very it's in uh, Micah 5 verse 2 and so they quote it you Bethlehem out of you shall come the prince why didn't they go (laughs) to Bethlehem you know what were they doing they knew the bible I can imagine them sitting around the faculty lounge later that day, and one of them says, hey, do you think there could be something in this, what these magi said? Maybe we should send someone down to Bethlehem to check it out. And someone else says, nah, are you kidding? Forget it, they're Gentiles. They're unclean. They don't know what's going on. God would never say anything or show anything to them. So the Magi leave, they alone take the six mile journey down to Bethlehem. They're overjoyed when somehow the heavenly sign or another heavenly sign appears and it shows the place where the Holy Family are residing. Some time has passed, I know In our nativity scenes, we put the wise men on one side and the shepherds and angels on the other, but um, they weren't there on Christmas. Um, Probably, Jesus by this time is about Maisie's age. uh, And Joseph has decided to settle his family in Bethlehem. Presumably, he's got a job and there they're living in a house, and the wise men come in, biggest surprise of all, they acknowledge this little boy living in, I'm sure it wasn't a palace, sitting on Mary's lap as the king of the universe, and they fall down before him in worship, and they offer their treasures. And then one last little surprise stinger at the end. God warns them, don't go back to Herod. (laughs) He's got other plans. A lot of dreams, incidentally, in Matthew 1 and 2. There's about five or six of them. Sometimes with angels, sometimes without angels. And off they go. Symbols, first fruits, actually of us. They are us. We're Gentiles, most of us, I think, who've been drawn to the light of the world, who is Jesus himself. You know, um, I want to look at a famous verse in John 8. But in thinking about this, it also strikes me That John's famous prologue, you know, that introduction in chapter one that we read on Christmas usually, that's got an epiphany story in it as well. Sort of his take on this whole thing. In him was life, John says, in the word, who was with God in the beginning, who was God. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, who enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the epiphany. Jesus' own take on it comes in John 8, one of his great I am sayings, there are seven of them. Um, good sermon series. Have you done a sermon series on the I Yeah, I thought you did. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab one of them uh, here. It, it was a statement that Jesus made during the festival of Tabernacles. So the context of this really comes at the end of John 7, where Jesus stands up on the final day of the feast. Tabernacles celebrated the wilderness years, the Exodus experience. And to Symbol, people would make little huts and live in them for a week to remind them of those years when they didn't have a home. And when God led them with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night and so they would erect a huge candelabra in the temple square to remind them of that. And Jesus stood there on the last day of the feast and he said, I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Light and darkness, (laughs) pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, I've just been thinking kind of off the top of my head of how we use that metaphorically all the time. Intellectual darkness, the darkness that afflicts our own age, especially. Uh, You know, 300 years ago, we went through what uh, was proudly claimed to be the enlightenment, when uh, the best and brightest, brightest among us would throw off the shackles of superstition and uh, religion and live by the light of reason. Uh, a project that is pretty much played out in our day. And instead of being guided by those who should most know, um, we kind of wandered into this shadow land of relativism, no absolute truth, no absolute morality. Uh, People (laughs) deny truth and yet complain about Fake news and lies and conspiracy theories. People deny right and wrong and yet want everyone to treat them nicely, cry out for justice. We're, we're wandering in the dark. <laughs> uh, the confusion that afflicts fallen human minds. Paul talks about it clearly and plainly in Romans 1. Read, read Romans 1:18 through 31 or whatever the end is uh, sometime and see if he's not talking about us. Um, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who remarked that when people don't believe in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. I just saw two stories, one in the Wall Street Journal this past week and one this morning in the New York Times about astrologers, speaking of astrologers. They're still with us and, and one of the interviewers asked this woman who was a, had half a million Instagram followers for her astrology columns, asked her uh, first question, astrology, really? And she said, yeah, you know, whatever works for you. <laughs> yeah, What about the fact that it's bogus? that we're not really ruled by the stars, that they have no impact. The, sc- the star signs of the zodiac essentially are interesting <laughs> to look at, but they have no, yeah, no, whatever. You have your truth, I have my truth, whatever works for you. Moral darkness, how about that? John talks about that. Uh in chapter 3 you know right after John 3:16, that wonderful verse that I trust we all know and then uh, the even more wonderful in some ways verse 17 he didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save it but the problem John says that people love the darkness this is the judgment here's verses 19 and 20 the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. What do they say? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. (laughs) We've we've invented this whole city and illuminated it 24-7 with glaring neon lights so that the shameful things we're tempted to do stay, stay secret, stay there. <laughs> and to tell the truth, we all of us have a tendency to dive back into that darkness, don't we? We've done things, we've thought things, we said things that we don't want to come to light So it's not just out there. (laughs) There's still a little bit of darkness in here, isn't there? Emotional darkness, John mentioned it in his prayer. Um, The darkness of loss, the darkness of sorrow, the darkness of loneliness, the darkness of depression. These things are real and we're not immune from them. You know, so Jesus makes this amazing claim, I am the light of the world, the whole world. I, myself, am the light. Uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation, said the psalmist. And as John also pointed out, uh, you don't actually see the light, you see by the light. The light is what enables you to see everything else around you. So he makes this claim emphatically, I am. Uh, and, And then he adds a very interesting statement. Whoever follows me, incidentally, that's the definition of a Christian, right? Christianity is not just a set of beliefs, let alone a list of doctrines. As much as I love those things, Christianity is a life that consists of following Jesus, of attempting, by the power of his spirit, to place our feet wherever his feet have walked. We just, day by day, I wanna follow you today. Lord, help me take up my cross, Say no to self and follow you, that's that's Christianity. And Jesus' statement is, is this, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I wanna suggest that you hear that in three ways. First, hear it as a promise you will never walk in darkness not that you'll never have dark moments (laughs) not that darkness can't descend but that if it does you will also have light in that dark For he will be there and the promise is not blue skies every day never a cloud you know (laughs) as if we didn't live in Grand Rapids in January. (laughs) Never gonna see the sun again. (laughs) No, hold out to the promise that the light is with you and that ultimately what he gives is life. That's the promise. Whatever darkness comes, you have life in him, real life. Zoe is John's word and he uses it over and over in distinction from bios, physical life. Bios comes from the flesh and the will of man and it comes through blood, physical life. But zoe comes from God. It is a gift. You don't earn it by following Jesus. You follow Jesus because he's given you life. That's how it works. And that's his promise. Nothing. No one ever will take that from you. Whatever darkness descends, after all, (laughs) I mean, he's the one who wrestled in the dark in Gethsemane, let down by his friends. He died in the dark on Golgotha. He lay in the darkness of the tomb for three days. He knows darkness. So it's a promise, right? Hear it also as an invitation. Whoever follows me, another of John's favorite words, also short, Zoe, three letters, Z-O-E, eternal life. It's often real life as opposed to simple physical life. The word whoever is also just three little letters, tis, T-I-S, and it's sprinkled all through the Gospel of John. Uh, Richard Baucom is one of the great um, New Testament scholars of the 21st century, and he points out something so small but so obvious, it's singular. It could have been plural, but it's singular, and every time Jesus uses it, all of these great statements, it's that same individual singular word. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. The one who does, he wasn't just thinking collectively, he was thinking about you when he said this. You were in his mind, I was in his mind. It's a gift, you know? You don't earn the life, but you do have to receive it. What was it John said? To those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, fully and forever. And finally, I think we have to hear that as a challenge. John will develop this later in his letter. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. So a challenge, yeah, because we're constantly Wandering back, aren't we, into one kind of darkness? Or What are you going to do when you stumble and fall? Just give up? I keep coming back to Peter's line in John 6. Lord, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal. I got nobody else but you. I got nothing. So when I've failed, all I can do is get up and say I'm sorry and go back to following. I want to leave you with a couple questions. John likes to do that, so I want to kind of do something similar. You know the three basic ones. I'm not going to go there. But I'm going to ask you to just reflect for a bit on two questions. First, are you photosensitive? Have you had your own personal epiphany? where you've seen the light. <laughs> I've seen the light. The bulb has gone off. I've recognized Jesus for who he He really is who he said he was. It's actually true. I, I love, Greg plants sunflowers out in the corner. It, I, I always check out the gardens from spring through fall, I love doing that. Of course, we just live a block away, so it's easy. Yeah, mostly I'm checking on my potatoes, but but I like to look at all of them, and I especially like the sunflowers. They grow strong and tall, and if you see them in the morning, they're facing that way. And if you see them in the evening, they're facing that way, because they're drawn to the light. They're photosensitive and so should we be. Second question, are you photo-reflective? Can others see his light in and through you? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Evangelist writes, he's writing about John the Baptist. He was not the light but was sent to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. We are not the light, but we are lights. Jesus said so. You are the light of the world. So let your light so shine that all may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. In his name. Amen.